0: To the Megan Walrod Show. I'm your host and I am delighted to bring to you season two, Brave Women, Brave Living. You are in for some juicy, inspiring conversations. So dive in, enjoy, then afterwards, come on and continue the conversations in our private Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's go already. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Megan, and I am delighted to be joined today by a mermaid sister friend, Cirrus Raquel Rivas Verdejo. Welcome to the show, Cirrus.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: I'm so happy to dive into a conversation with you today. And in case you haven't met Cirrus yet, I'm going to tell you a bit about her journey. And then... We're going to see where this conversation goes today. (laughs) We started off already with some song and dance before we pressed record. We'll see if more comes through. So Cirrus is the owner of Empowering Light Language LLC, where she creates a nurturing and expansive space for people to access their true selves and increase their awareness around communication, interpersonal relationships culture, health, body awareness and choice to name a few. I know there's so much more. She infuses energetic modalities into her services as a family child coach, body relationship coach, speech language pathologist and learning behavioral specialist with cutting edge psychology and results-driven empowering tools and strategies. Cirrus has her own podcast show. It's called Choosing a Different Future with Cirrus. I will be a guest on her show coming up a little bit later, so you can check that out too. And she offers... With a passionate, fun, and poignant facilitation style, she provides dynamic private sessions, staff training, parent workshops, and guest lectures. Her links are in the show notes to connect with her more. She loves to travel and play with different languages and hopes to create a world where people can connect to each other and themselves with joyful ease. She also loves tea mermaids we connected around that and card games and board games what's your favorite card game serious i was just playing uno with my nephew recently
1: did you learn have you seen all the new versions of uno they have uno flex uno wild uno flip no like, i've been playing all of them i'm like oh let's try this one out the version i like the most right now is uno flip where there's actually One side of the light side and one side of the
0: dark side. And I love the dark side. Ooh, I like (laughs) this. I'm totally going to have to check those out. So the next time I see my nephew, I will bring those. Thank you for mentioning. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. Kids love them. And since I'm a kid, basically it's, it's an all (laughs) win-win.
0: Totally. Totally. So much fun to play and the light side and the dark side so much there to explore. And, you know, One of the things that I've been really curious about to dive in with you today is this theme of leaps of faith. And as you know, the show, Brave Women, Brave Living, we're exploring these themes of what does it really take? What is brave living? And I'm curious for you, like, let's just start there. What for you is brave living? And then we'll look at some of these leaps of faith that you've taken in your own journey.
1: Well, I think for me, brave living, and it continues to evolve, but brave living is looking inward and outward and more and more as you get tapped into your body you get tapped into your inner knowing that gap between that inner and outward decreases and for me my brave living really started with looking at the models within my life so i had a lot of brave women in my life pioneers really um there's really no other word for it my grandmother was the only woman of her generation in my family that owned her own property that went to college that drove a car And so she set this precedent of like, okay, what's the next evolution of bravery that's like opening up the doors for something different for her kids and then for her grandkids. My mom was the first woman in my family to um, complete college. My grandmother went and then gave away that opportunity because she thought her siblings would benefit from it more. And then they started and didn't finish and she would have finished. So that didn't work out for her. But my mom started and finished, and she was the first one to finish a bachelor's degree and then the first one to do a master's. She was the first one to move out of Puerto Rico, where I was born, where uh, that side of the family is. The other side is in the Dominican Republic. And so I got to see so many people, including these women in my family, choose something beyond what was projected and expected of them. They, they also changed gender roles. Like it, all these different things that were, that everyone in their society and their community and our culture was telling them to do that because they were a woman, they were like, "Mm, I'll take part of that, that works for me. And the rest of it, I'm not, I'm not going to have it. I'm going to try something else. And so she looked to her mom, my mom looked at her mom and be like, okay, I liked how she raised her kids to be independent. Everyone cooked, everyone cleaned, everyone knew how to do these things. But in these other aspects, let me tweak it because I don't like that she made us fearful of water, for instance. Mm. So she put us in swimming classes from the really early age. And it was beneficial not only for her to do that, but then she had my dad supporting her because he was a lifeguard and big into swimming. So it wasn't just like hand it over and you don't have any parent or adult that was supporting you. Mm. She cheered us on while panicking on the inside because <laughs> she was so petrified. But she was like, I don't want to pass this fear on. To my kids. Um, And so, looking at the things of the models around you that are an inspiration that work, and also be willing to do something different for the mm -hmm. things that don't work or that won't work for you in particular, I think is brave living for in my life. That's what it's been in my life so far. Mm
0: I am loving these stories about your grandmother and your mother and the way that you're speaking to how they went beyond and then went beyond the other, like each generation took where the previous left off and picked up there. And I love that your freaking dad is a lifeguard. So like, here's this woman, your mom who has this fear of water and like lifeguard. Hello. what this beautiful, like contribution to each other. And, and now there's this love of mermaids and I'm curious for yourself, like, where, where you've taken this now, like, what are some of the possibilities that you've built up on what they've gone beyond what culture says you can do as a woman and grown beyond that? What would you say is one of those areas that you're pioneering?
1: Be independent,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: be self-sufficient, have your own money. Don't have it so that you rely on a man for your happiness or for getting your bills paid. She didn't always follow through with what she said. So she's a big romantic. So that romantic lens, those rose colored glasses, man, I saw her look to that, but she also still had some of these residual points of views of, well, you can only have sex in marriage. So she didn't really date. Mm-hmm. she didn't really know how to date she's learned now to do that given some of coaching for me she will tell you she's like my daughter the relationship coach tells me that I need to do blah 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 so now <laughs> I love she's it. learned to date it's great because as you as you're inspired by other people including the women in your family you can then give back to them too so my grandmother mm-hmm. has opened up and a lot she opened up a lot she's since passed in June of 2022 but before her passing, both my mom's choices and my choices reverberated upward to her. Yes. Um, and, and she recognized that. And it was really lovely for her to actually vocalize that before she passed. Mm-hmm. So I was more discerning in the, in the people that I chose to date and the relationships I had, because I wasn't feeling like the pressure. Of, okay. I can only have sex if I'm in, the, in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I was like, let me have sex with anyone I'd like to have sex with and let me try all these different types of sex, which I, my mom did not try. Um, I explored open relationships and poly relationships and kink and, you know, and my, me and my mom have a type of relationship that I'm not explicitly telling her the acts that I'm doing, mm-hmm. but she definitely got to meet my partners when I was in a triad, for instance, or when I was, when, and also I also explored and I had a more fluid sexuality. So my mom's very much heterosexual is how she identifies. And I'm pansexual. And I don't think that that's an improvement. I think it's a difference. Do you know what I mean? Like I, and, and she be giving her explorations and her recognizing that there were some places where she was brave and some places where she was still constraining herself and being like, Hey, I could just date for fun. I don't have to keep marrying everybody. So she would maybe date quote unquote date for like six months a year and get married to the person. I was like, you could, find out a little bit more about them before mm-hmm. getting married. It's okay. Like no one's giving you this timeline anymore, but you, and mm-hmm. it was from this past projecting into her present of mm-hmm. cultural expectations and of, Oh, well, you're a whore. If you're just dating to sedate, that was still prevalent in Puerto Rico from her generation. And so when we moved into the United States, because that was her choice with my dad we didn't have the same level of pressure culturally to do that. Mm-hmm. And she got to see that. Oh, wow. It's okay. It's okay for you to explore. It's okay for you to date a lot of people. And I started dating way earlier than her. And I've dated for a lot longer than her. I started dating when I was 11. <laughs> I had my first boyfriend when I was 11. So it's even early compared to American standards, like yeah. super early. Yeah. Um, so there's that. I I went on my own professionally, uh really early. Like I saw her working in the Chicago Public Schools and in, the, in U46, which is a school district right outside the Chicago suburbs. It's in Elgin, Illinois. And she was a very dedicated teacher, amazing bilingual educator. And I loved how she directly impacted these kids lives and worked directly with the families. I love that. I was like, I'll have that. Mm -hmm. I'll grab Mm -hmm. that. That's the part that works, right? Mm -hmm. The part that didn't work was all the bureaucracy, all of the, Oh, she's being told what to do by people that maybe don't even know what's going on in the classroom. I didn't like that. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, so how can I have an impact on children and families where I have this gratification of directly impacting their quality of life, their communication, their confidence, Their self care, all of that, and I have a lot more autonomy. I get to take it around, I can take these kids with me in my back pocket, in my laptop, and they're and they're traveling around the world with me. And that's what I've chosen to do with my career is I get to impact all these individuals, including children and family around the world. But I don't have the constraint of you have to take whoever walks in. Mm -hmm. You have to do it, even if you're at your max, you still have to take the next one that comes in. And I started in the schools, I started in the Chicago public schools myself, and I loved it. And I thought that would be my forever career and then burnout and overwhelm and Mm. being taken for granted and underpaid. And all these different stressors came into the, into the foreground that I couldn't ignore anymore. Mm -hmm. And I had to leap using your phrase, leap of faith. I had to leap out and I, I leapt with a plan I started Mm. to see the writing on the wall three years in and so I said I'm going to give myself two years but I unless things get different unless things change and it wasn't it was just getting worse and worse and worse at that time I'm going to start taking giving myself this space to plan what's the next thing to research to explore to ask questions of myself to connect to new people and consider other possibilities Mm -hmm. And I leapt and my colleagues were like, oh, my God, how are you leaving? I was getting weekly messages, weekly. And um, it was a gamble. And yet. I knew that if I stayed, I would never get to have any remote chance of having the life I really wanted and to still have the quality of services I wanted to provide. Hmm. And so it was okay. Do business and live with integrity, or keep being controlled by the manipulations and the lies and the machinations of this bigger entity that yeah. not, didn't necessarily always have the kids and the family's best interests at heart.
0: Hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. it was a no brainer for me. I was like, I, I love these kids. I cried. Oh my God, did I cry? I missed my families. I missed my colleagues, and yet. I was, I wanted to be me. I was so angry and I was so grumpy after work Mm
0: -hmm. that I was like, the
1: kids are picking up on this. This isn't a gift to the kids. This Mm -hmm. isn't a gift to the family. So I chose something different.
0: You chose something different and took a leap of faith. And I am loving this evolution of this conversation. And I'm tracking a few different themes of, I want to look at that theme of mom's and how you were looking at, okay, this really worked. I'm going to, yes, this please, you know, working with the kids or yes, this please going beyond what your culture says when it comes to education, when it comes to, you know, this kind of thing. And yet what you needed to add to it to actually work for you, like not waiting to get married, to have sex and all of that. And it, it's reminding me of this, like how we mom ourselves, uh, when my mom died in 2016, a small group of women created a ritual for me to support me in my grieving and in honoring of mom and, and that transition, that milestone, write a passage for me that it was. And one of the women invited me to consider, like we, we've internalized our mom's you know, and, and this is a chance to actually look at what are those things we've taken on? What are those things I've taken on that actually I want to let go of? And what are those ways that I might want to add that really nourishes me as the mom to be that mom to myself. And so just bringing this up in this context, cause I know you're an advocate of like letting go of those societal conditionings that says who you are, who you must be, who you're not, all that kind of thing. And we we've internalized those. And you're in the process of like, no, I'm not going to, that's not going to dictate my life. So just really honoring the journey that you've been on with that consciousness to look at, no, that doesn't work for me. I'm going to to take that example. I'm going to have sex with whom I would like to, with whom I would like my body to. And I'm curious as you went through that journey early on, Was there any journey of like shame as you came up against that cultural conditioning that was like ingrained or was there any of that whitewater turbulence to choose for you that was different from what your culture may have wanted you to and different culturals because you were growing up
1: in different places. This whole expectation of like, okay, you should be with the same person forever and ever. And it's going to lead to marriage. Well, fast forward. This person that wanted to marry me that I was very much considering getting married to in a, on an evening when he was grieving and he was really, really drunk raped me. And so I was confronted by this clash of expectations of my hopes and dreams with the relationship and with him and then this expectation of, wait, but this is supposed to work, right? Because I'm finding and picking the person that I actually want to be with after dating people since I was 11. I think I was like 20 21 at the time when I was raped. And all of a sudden I had to check myself and there were multiple other things going on at the same time. It was really like the worst year of my life. But in the course of just two months, um, I was raped by my then boyfriend. And then my dad decided to not pay for college. It was right before my senior year of college. And so I was scrambling to figure out how I was going to pay for that last year so I could graduate. And I was hit by a car and a hit and run. So I was walking and messed up my knees and I was diagnosed with cervical dysplasia. And so this is all like just a, just a boom, 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 boom. Wow. And it led to so much depression and just not even wanting to get out of the house and out of my apartment at the time. I was like, what else is going to happen? Like, it was just like, it, yeah. I think there's some other many things that were going on when that, in, in that lens of like so much trauma and confusion, you're like, you kind of glop it all together.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, but those are the big things. So I, I dealt with, I was dealing with the, the rape, but I hadn't actually acknowledged that it was rape because it was my boyfriend. And mm-hmm. I had consented so many times before that I thought that it was this implicit consent, that it didn't have to always consent, even though I told him no. And I was making all these excuses and justifications for him. I was also dealing with the shame of, oh, well, this, maybe this is what happens because I hadn't married before. Oh, and wow. I had, I had been doing this exploration and I hadn't met all these constraints and all these, you know, the, t- the typical way that you find your partners. I, and even though we've been together and I'd known him since I was five years old is something very, fam- somebody very familiar to me. I, I had these questions come up of like, oh, is this what happens? Is this my punishment kind of a Mm. thing? Come in, you know, Catholic upbringing, there's a lot of guilt and punishment and shame. And so it was coming into the head very much so during this this moment, this, this series of moments. And it was my last conversation with him that highlighted, oh, this isn't my shit. Oh, this isn't actually something I need to hold on to in my fault. And it was the first step there was, it wasn't the aha and then everything went away, but it was the first moment where I started to get the sense of, oh, this isn't actually the way that you want to navigate this. The, the judging yourself, the shaming yourself, the, the not holding him accountable. Mm. That's not the way. And I saw that pattern with a lot of things with my mom, she would not want to, and this is a cultural thing. You don't badmouth your, your partner and your husband. Mm-hmm. You don't argue in public, you do it in private. And so even if they're doing something in public that is inappropriate or dishonoring of you or disrespectful to you, you kind of take it to not have them look badly. So they're, they're, how they're seen and perceived is more valuable than how you're perceived. So mm-hmm. I was doing that. With my partner at the time, I was, I was giving him all this leeway Mm -hmm. and, and he didn't even remember what really happened because he was so drunk, blacked out. And he, and I just let it play out like as if nothing happened with him. So I didn't even bring it up to him until months later. Let's see, this was August when he raped me in like that December after the hit and run and the dysplasia and all these different things. I had this conversation with him, which he made a decision to change career paths and change things that would affect a relationship without consulting me and even going against some of the things that we had agreed upon. And I was like, wow, he's not considering me, look like, at all. It's all on his timeline and his parameters, his conditions. I am doing this and I'm, and I'm letting him just control everything and dictate everything for what reason? Like, well, do I really want to be with somebody that would treat me with such little regard? Mm-hmm. And it was so challenging and so hard. But I told him, you chose this thing with your career, and it's going to take you to this other part of the world. And I, no, I, I can not even have the option of being there with you. So we're going to be doing long distance for indefinite amount of time. I'm not going to put my life on hold for you and for our relationship as much as I love you. So we're done. And after I started to consider and let go of all these hopes and dreams I had for him and for the relationship, it allowed me to receive the implications of what really happened with the rape Mm. for me to really start to process it instead of, putting it in a cupboard, you know, mm-hmm. and blocking it out. Yeah. And then the shame came. Then the, how do I talk about this with people? When I started to date other people, I, I, I all of a sudden was like, wait, I feel dirty. I feel like I should, you know, how, could, maybe they won't want to have sex with me because this happened. All these things that I had talked about, because I'd researched rape myths and reality since high school, I did independent studies on it. And yet the theoretical became the real, like it was here in my face. And I recognize now that me doing that research before was almost this premonition, like, because it's very common, you know, at least one out of seven, if not more of women are raped in their lifetime. So I I was saying these stats in high school and did not think that that would happen to me. No one ever really expects it. And but, it, all of that research, I was able to hold on to and revisit to start dissipating some of that shame mm-hmm. and move through it and have the the bravery to have conversations with potential partners and friends and family. And it was like a coming out. Mm-hmm. like I've come out so many different ways in my, the course of my life, and coming out as a survivor of rape was what felt like when I came out as pansexual and when I came out as queer and when I came out as poly, it was like one of the first, Oh, this is another coming out. And, and then doing it over and over and over again with, with other partners in a different way, the story and how the charge shifted over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How wow to the allness of this. And this was, you know, the context of, moms and leaps of faith and shame and societal conditioning there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff even around the topic of rape to even bring it into the field and so thank you for being willing to go there and share this with us and i have a sense you may have some different perspectives on what you arrived at that have helped you heal from that, transform that experience. Would you be willing to share a little bit about what's helped you through to the other side of that, where in the continuous coming out, in the evolution of it, not feeling as charged?
1: So it gets into what we talked about at the beginning, where it's this simultaneity of looking to models outward and also looking inward. And Mm -hmm. what's funny about that is, As you are recognizing the models and the inspiration and the influencing, the influences of other people, you start to recognize where you influence other people. Mm
0: -hmm. You become
1: the outside of somebody else Mm -hmm. and that possible example to them. And I was always an example. It was instilled in me from a very young age, being the oldest of three both of my siblings having special needs and special abilities, that I was supposed to be a leader and a model to them. And I didn't want my siblings to go out in the world to think that this is this rare, impossible thing that could happen, that they could know somebody that that has experienced this, that my sister could experience it. And I wanted her to know that even if it doesn't have to be rape, but that anything traumatic that she could come to me and talk to me about it and that she could be on the lookout for maybe her friends that might be showing some of these warning signs or some of the things that are going on. Mm -hmm. And then it spread from there. And each time I spoke to somebody, either they would tell me that they had experienced it and I hadn't known, or they were like, wow, I hadn't thought of considering the times of when I kind of acquiesced and conceded to sex when I didn't really want it and how it's not rape, but it's not quite consensual sex. And, th- and there's that gray area and mm-hmm. them recognizing that they could actually say no more often than they had. And wow. so the more stories and more feedback like that I was getting, it emboldened me to dig deeper and ask those questions more of myself and look at other ways that I could detox and let go of these things that I had locked in my body Not just from those experiences, but, you know, different abuse I experienced with family members and, and all these, these little subtle emotional and mental abuses that we sometimes take, like, we don't think of them as that big of a deal and we Mm -hmm. accept. And since I was willing to be a defender and a warrior for my loved ones, I was like, what if I could be that for myself? And what if by me being that for myself, it it actually invites more people to show up and be that for themselves and advocate for themselves, to care for themselves, love on themselves even more. It was a, a matter of respect for me. Mm. And I wanted to respect and honor those around me by being willing to have these conversations. And it softened the charge each time I talk about it. But what actually gets me more emotional than thinking about the rape now, you know, almost 40, no, I'm 40 now. So like 20 years later. So it's been just as much time since the rape as before the rape, which Mm -hmm. is weird. I just got, I just got that right now that what actually gets me more emotional is the impact that my presence and my willingness to talk and have these uncomfortable, sometimes challenging conversations have on anybody that hears it, it might not be the rape itself. It may be this other piece. And I, and I love hearing that. And I love knowing that even if someone doesn't message me directly, I tap into my body and I'm like, Oh wow, this is creating something. Mm. And so at the time I was ravenous, i have always been really interested in, in self-awareness and in knowledge and what else can I know about myself more and more and have more of me. And at the time I was still dealing with a lot of chronic illness and chronic Um, pain from not just that accident. I had other accidents beforehand. And so it was just, okay, this is another layer. I can't look beyond this anymore. I can't avoid this. Who can I reach out to? And so I got a therapist that got me to make sure that I didn't kill myself because I was suicidal. And I started looking at naturopathic treatments for my illnesses and for my pain. I started to reach out to friends that had been survivors and talking them and having our little mini support groups. I would make sure that, I wouldn't project rape and sexual assault at the parents that I worked with, but I would point out some of the problematic things at messaging that they would be sending to their kids Mm. that could make it more tricky for them to voice when they didn't consent to something. Or for example, mm-hmm. let, let me not let me not speak in the abstractness. Yeah. So in our culture, we kiss on the cheek, hi and bye. That's part of the Latin culture. Even if you just met the person. Hi, mm-hmm. oh, it's nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so many times the parents I'd work with, if they were, if they were Latin, if they were Latino and Hispanic, they would tell their kids to kiss the stranger high in the cheek or give them a hug and things like that. And most of the time it's totally fine and it's lovely. And these people are, you know, they've been vetted, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes the kids didn't want to. They didn't feel like it for whatever reason. Sometimes they're picking up on something. Mm -hmm. And I would point out, hey, if you tell them they have to kiss this person and hug them or be affectionate when they don't want to, you're actually sending them the message that they don't get to choose what happens with their body. And my parents would be like, oh, that's not the message mm. I want my kids to get. So they would get it right away. I've had wonderful parents. They get it. This is a very simple thing, but this is so culturally embedded, right? Yeah. It's one thing to encourage, it's another thing to force, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Like, oh, honey, it's okay. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe they just need to hear it's okay from mom because they don't know this person. Maybe they just really are picking up on something and they need that to be respected. Mm hmm. And so these little small things started to permeate every aspect of my interactions with kiddos and with families. And I started to point out these little micro or precursor skills and precursor messages before it gets to the point where there's someone that like me, who was super supported to have their voice. And yet I still didn't feel like it was okay to say it because this person's, value and this person's reputation was more important than mine.
0: Yeah. This is huge. And I'm so appreciating you bringing this up. It's like the micro moments that are huge because our life is built on those. And I was something I experienced growing up too, you know, there was this expectation to like kiss on the cheek, different than the, than the culture that you're talking about. But there was just that if an adult is telling me to do something it's my job to override my own body saying, I don't really want to lean in and let, you know, grandpa or uncle, you know, give me a kiss on the cheek. Cause I just, I don't want that energy in my world, but there was the overriding that. And so not having a voice, not having a choice that learned behavior, that societal conditioning of just do it anyway, you know, it, it builds up and the empowerment of what you're talking about those, having those conversations, pointing it out. And exercising your own voice in having the hard conversations, it's its like it takes a whole level of awareness and bravery to be willing to choose something different from what everyone else is asking us to do.
1: And, you know, and I was really grateful because my mom, that was one of those things I got from her. She was an educator, bilingual educator. She worked with kids from kindergarten through eighth grade, but especially kindergarten and first grade was the most of her 35 plus years in education was in those earlier Mm. grades. And from an early age, she told us, if anyone tells you, don't tell your mom this and this, you immediately say, you say, okay, sure. You agree with them. And then you come and tell me. So she prepared us. She had those scenarios in place. Mm -hmm. Or she would say, if they say, if they tell you they'll hurt me or kill me, if you don't do blah, 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 tell me and I will kill them. (laughs) <laughs> and she's like, I have no problem. I, I got you. There's nobody that's going to kill me before I kill them. Don't do by the lie. But wow. these are these scenarios that a lot of parents avoid bringing up to their totally. kids so that when they're in those situations, they would have no idea. So I got wow. that piece with the kids piece. What I had to start evolving and learning and doing choosing different for myself was how to interact with that with partners mm. and with friends. Mm -hmm. How can you still have your voice with the adults that you care about, that you admire and that you respect, especially when they're not honoring and respecting you back?
0: Yeah. Yeah. How, what's something that's helped you find your voice in those moments? Um, Journaling
1: was Mm -hmm. big. Um, I would journal and then I would read back what I was journaling as if it was a friend. Mm. that was venting to me or talking to me is like, what was, I was a really good friend. I still consider myself pretty, pretty good friend. I I, I say now pretty good because that was a big identity for me. Like I was, Mm. it was essential for me to be a good friend in a very limiting way where nothing else really mattered (laughs) Mm -hmm. when I was younger. Now I give myself more leeway and I don't feel like I have to be a perfect daughter, perfect friend, perfect granddaughter, anything like that. And so I would journal and I would read back what I wrote and I would say, if this was a friend saying this to me, what advice would I give them? What would I mm. ask, invite them to do? What would be the path that I would hope they would choose? Mm-hmm. That was really, really impactful. And, and then also getting prioritizing my health, even if it was inconvenient to other people mm. was huge because it unfortunately took me almost dying before I, I was like, hey, I got to change something or yeah. I'm not going to be on this beautiful planet anymore. Okay. And, uh, and it was not so much the emotional and mental health at that point, even though it was definitely impacted. It was also, um, I had so many chronic illnesses that my immune system was underground. And at one point my doctor was like, hey, you're going to keep getting all these sinus infections. You're about to get bronchitis and you're going to die. And this mm-hmm. is in my 20s. This is also right around the same time of the salt and everything. So I, I saw that if I really wanted to live, which I, there were definitely moments where I wasn't so sure, but when the, I did say, I really want to be here, I really want to contribute to this world, what do I need to do? Well, I had to first start with my physical health, my emotional and mental health, or I couldn't contribute to anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went to a naturopathic doctor Dr. Barbara Roca uh, in Winfield, Illinois. Hi, Barbara. And she created a personalized treatment plan that included both naturopathic supplements and diet changes and things like that, but also she addressed the energetic and emotional mental through energy work. Mm. And it was my first time actually experiencing it directly energy work and seeing the benefits of it. So I went from having chronic pain to after taking my Reiki classes, not having pain anymore. And when I say chronic pain, I mean like every day, most of the day, migraines. Oh, I'm walking, walking. Oh, I'm on my knees screaming out in pain. You know, it was bad. Wow. So super, super grateful for her and for introducing me to Reiki. I found her through my mom and it went from there and I just kept adding different energetic modalities and systems from at that point onward from Tantra to shamanism, theta healing, access consciousness. And it led me to create my own body process, which invites people to let go of what's not working for them. What's not actually part of their exuberant living. And they get to add on the things and be clearer on what to add on. That's Mm -hmm. going to contribute to their exuberant living. So Mm -hmm. it's just this weaving golden brick
0: road of wow <laughs> yeah yeah and I love that expression and that word exuberant exuberant living there is just like sunbursts of joy and I'm just called to ask you to speak to what is exuberant living for you knowing Gosh. it's different for each person Yeah, if that's yeah. kind of your invitation to the people you work with of like yeah the letting well, the go and the choosing
1: in these 10 seconds. Cause I, I kind yeah. of what I say each time. Um, cause you're right. It is so different each time. And given where I'm at right now, given where the world is at right now, and what I'd like to see in the world, exuberant living is being so dynamically and aggressively present with your body and the messages your body sends you in addition to what you may be perceiving from other people's bodies, the earth, whew, lands, different lands, and actually being willing to choose what's going to work for you with clarity, with joy, and, and it not being this momentary thing. It actually is looking at the long view of things. So mm-hmm. more and more, you know, when you're in pain, when you're in trauma, when you're in chronic illness, it's the immediate. Mm-hmm. It feels right here. It's in your face. It's, you can't really <sighs> think about beyond the pain, beyond the trigger of i just remembered his smell i just remembered Mm -hmm. the pressure of his body you can't you it's hard to go beyond that right so if you could dissipate that and let that go that's the what for me living and dying which is the body process i created living Mm -hmm. is what you add that creates more and dying is what you what you let go of to create more And so you die, you let those things die, you let the shame go, you let those projections and expectations, the lies go, the pain, and then you add on these tools, these energies, these people, these places that you're like, oh, there's more here. There's more space here. There's more ease here. There's more hope. And that's what I would really like to see more of in the world is people to be so attuned to their bodies and the messages of what's going to work for them or not, mm-hmm. that by them doing that and choosing it, because if you don't, if you're aware of it, but you don't choose it, it's like, as if you're not aware of it, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's not about a lack of awareness. It's a lack of choosing for many people. If you're willing to choose it, you can actually be an example to other people and you can be a leader in your family which Mm -hmm. given that I work with a lot of families is really important to me. You can have a lot of mini leaders. You can have one primary leader and then kind of pass the gauntlet on, pass the baton on to see if somebody else would like to step up in certain situations. That's very empowering. Mm -hmm. But we can't empower children. We can't empower future generations. We can't empower the people that we love if we're not willing to take the lead every once in a while, especially when it comes to our own Self care and how we're choosing to live. So that's exuberant living for me today.
0: <laughs> oh, there is so much, such an expansive, open space of possibility as I tap in and tune in and receive all that you're sharing. So thank you for speaking to it in this 10 seconds. And I want to share with listeners a couple of gifts that you have, Cirrus. So Yet yeah, before I do that, I also just listeners as you've been tuning into this journey and just kind of creating that bridge to you and your own brave living invitation for some home play to explore these themes that Cirrus has been bringing to the light today of, you know, what are those, what are those things that you've seen your mom and her mom choosing that really worked for you that you're building upon? What are those things From you know, it can be the mom, it can be anyone really in your family system.
1: Yeah, caregiver.
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's like, what do you wish to carry forward that's really working for you that you want to build off of, acknowledging where you have already done that. And then looking at where might be some of those beliefs or practices or cultural expectations that you've taken on or have been allowing to limit your life, your sex, your relationships, your business, your money flows, your everything and is now the time to let that go and to have that as Sirius talks about the exuberant living that really lights you up and has that quality of brave as it you know as it's as you I want to say live brave rather than define it. Cause to me, it's like undefining that. So invitation to play with that. And then a couple of other great resources you can check out. Cirrus has this free gift. It's five questions to ask to stop self-sabotage in relationships. I've already signed up for it. I've read through it. It's amazing. It's like binge reading easy to devour in one sitting. And yet it has that deep reflective element that I love that the questions are going to, like I'm going to continue to reflect and marinate and refer back to it. So the link for that will be in the show notes. Did you want to say something about that?
1: I and I actually revisit those questions myself continuously in different areas of my life because it's all relationships. It's all communication, be it with your family, be it romantic partnerships, business. Like where am I? Where could I ask those questions and apply it to all those different areas of my life if I'd actually
0: like to have exuberant living in that area? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like I could see writing them down on a post-it note. I'm a fan of the post-it note for like easy reference too. And then there's also a children's ebook being a different possibility for children tools to help children be successful by accessing their magic and unique gifts. I haven't yet downloaded that. The links will be in the show notes though. Do you want to say anything about that resource? Cause we've been talking about kiddos. Yes,
1: it's all. I mean, even when I'm talking to the adults, I'm talking to kiddos because I'm, I'm tapping into their inner child. I'm speaking mm. to what they needed to be said. I can't tell you how many times uh, the parents I work with and the adults I work with, they are perpetuating some of those patterns of childhood where they weren't actually supported, seen, acknowledged, heard for what they knew. They knew something back then and they might have been, they might have been received or not. And maybe if it was received, it was how was it received? What? was it received and then dismissed, you know, like, and that, mm-hmm. I would actually contend that that's probably not totally receiving, mm-hmm. but um, you often have to look at this for yourself as an adult, even if you don't have kids, because it, it has implications for your interactions with everybody, everybody. And I wish that I, I feel like every adult should still have this children ebook because it really looks at man, I could still use this now. I I could be the adult that the child that I was, was asking for.
0: Oh, I love that so much. I'm downloading that after we're done here today. <laughs> <laughs> that so speaks to me. So speaks to me. So thank you for those gifts. And then awesome. I love that. I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all my guests that, What I love is we kind of began today's conversation with this indirectly. And yet, given the theme of these shows, our brave women, brave living, who is a woman that inspires you, a brave woman that inspires you?
1: Um, Other than my mom, which everyone knows about, if you've ever seen any video of me, my mom's been on my podcast, like we're business partners, best friends, travel companions, like beyond that, just amazing. Um, I'm going to try on something new here. Uh, another brave woman that I really admire. Hmm. So many are coming to mind. Which one first? I have been really interested in, in, in Monica Padman. Interestingly, uh, she is the producer and co-host of Dax Shepard, who's a famous actor somewhat famous actors podcast His his podcast is called armchair expert with Dax Shepard. And yet she's absolutely a co-host. And one of the things that, that I've learned from her recently is how to, how to contribute in a more subtle supportive way. I've, I've been really working on the yin energies and like the softer, more feminine energies um, because I've been the oldest, been the assertive one, been the like leader. And so sometimes leading isn't always this like in your face way of being. And, <sighs> and she's an actress herself. She's done comedy. She's uh, an avid writer. And so I'm looking at what are the other voices that I can play around with the other energies as I am vocalizing different things that maybe more some silences or some questions and some reminders and not so much, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. Uh, and so that's a more recent example. And she's interviewing people for the last four or five years now on that podcast from all over the world, including celebrities and influencers and, and think leaders. And so I'd like some of that for myself. And I'm looking at maybe that's part of how she's been able to do that, is been able to not always be the one in the front mm. and be more on the backstage mm-hmm. and still absolutely having an influence.
0: Yeah. Can you say her name again? Monica Monica Padman. Padman. That's super inspiring. And so speaks to me too, of how we can see these other energies and ways of being in others and recognize, oh, I've got that in me too. By tuning in, by listening, I get to try that on, experiment with that myself. And it's like, it goes so beyond, like there's so much competition, like this is like the contribution that we can be to each other and inspiring that. So, thank you, Monica Padman, bringing in the yin, different kind of influence. Was there anyone else too that you wanted to share? Because I know, I mean, like Oprah for sure.
1: Um, I wanted to mention somebody that maybe other people wouldn't have known. Yes. about. everyone knows yes. Oprah.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, and super inspiring, brave woman for sure. Yes, for sure,
1: and, for sure. and, yeah. and just using her influence for good. And not just thinking about herself, but looking at the legacy she's leaving, mm-hmm. um, you know, opening schools, even though that was tricky and problematic at some points and it things it's been self-corrected It's been corrected. Now. I, I really love that. She's continually trying to, to connect people with other people. I love connecting people with other people that will have a positive inf- influence on them that will open up a possibility that may not they may not know about otherwise and yeah. make their lives easier. And so one of my friends always says, Ceres, I know that if you don't know the person or this thing, you know, someone that knows. So I'm <laughs> going to ask you first. And I love that. I think that that's one of the best compliments I've ever gotten, because I, I feel like that's, it can't all be on one, one of us. It can't be all on our shoulders. And that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. I was trying to do everything on my own. I was mm. feeling like I always had to Know everything as the oldest, as the oh. as the one that was opening up these doors for other people, and yet, where's the receiving in that? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, let me let me not just know this for me, and also I'm going to learn this and pass this on for other people. It's it's all connected that we can give and receive both.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm just enjoying hanging out in that energy for a moment too. That question too, of like yeah, receiving and what's possible there and and with leadership and brave and all of that. So thank you so much for sharing all that you have with me, with our listeners, and there's so much gold in this conversation. And I also just want to revisit and kind of like underline as some home play for listeners, something that you shared that was so beautiful as far as one of the ways that you found your own voice and guidance was journaling and then reading what you wrote and looking at, if this was my friend sharing this with me, what guidance would I have for her? I just thought so beautiful and such a way to look inward for that guidance. So mm-hmm. listeners, if you resonate with that, that's some home play that you can explore in your own journaling. Well, and that's
1: about using your gift. If you're an empathetic person and a caring person, instead of using that against you to hurt you, to limit you, you can actually use it to your advantage. And that's one of the things I specialize in with my coaching is I look at the patterns and the gifts and strengths that someone has, and I make sure that they're actually using it for them and others instead of for others and not with them, like including themselves in the equation of their lives
0: freaking brilliant and so important yes 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 so listeners if you're play with that play with that that we've spoken about and then there will be links in the show notes to access Cirrus's free gifts and to connect with her further beyond today's show and to the brave women listening, thank you so much for being part of this community and we'll be continuing the conversation over in our private Facebook group. And Cirrus, what a freaking joy to hang out with you today. And, and yes, don't
1: forget to check in on when Megan is going to be on my podcast uh, Yes, on April 7th. It's going to be at 10 a.m. Eastern for North America. Um, That's a Friday. And so, pre register for that. Check it out. You'll be notified by email. But we're going to be talking about exactly what we're talking about now in a different way. And then Megan's going to get to talk more about (laughs) inner guidance (sighs) and how we actually make sure that we are including ourselves more and more in our lives, having a voice and not giving up on yourself. I think that these are themes that that are worth revisiting in different ways, because there's so many different ways that we can give up on ourselves. And this is something that we have to be consistently revisiting and looking at so that we don't, hey, get to a moment where like, hey, how did I get here? (laughs) How did I get here in this relationship? How did I get here in this job that's miserable? Like, how did I get here? Well, if you're consistent in checking in and asking these questions, and some of the other ones that we'll be talking about with Megan and my show, then um, it'll really help you to prevent and reduce that significantly. So that's April 7th.
0: I'm so looking forward to that. And so again, links to that will be in the show notes too. Thank you for speaking to that. And oh my gosh, until we meet again, have so much fun with you and your exuberant living. And thank you again so much for being on the show. And that's a wrap. Or is it? If you're like me and you want to continue these conversations, come on over and join the free Brave Women, Brave Living Facebook group where we're having conversations that cultivate courage. And before you go, I have a request and a reminder. If you'd be willing to share this episode with the women in your world, subscribe and leave a five-star review. That will help me reach more women. this message of brave living i have a sense they'll thank you and i thank you too now for the reminder brave living is not about being fearless it's about noticing the fear summoning your courage and doing the thing anyway You're amazing. Thank you for tuning in. I look forward to seeing you in the Facebook group on the next episode. And until then, be brave, be wild, and have so much fun being the magic that is you.